Hello everyone. I've done this before, but there's more words for me to use. And more things for me to talk about this time. Right? So real quick before I say anything, even if my let's say I had kids or you know biological or they come like the kids I would be okay with them being employees the rest of their time in the sex industry if they choose that you know I want to say that I'm the type of person that if I had kids it wouldn't be about me trying to control them at all. I would want them to be whoever they wanted to be as long as it's within reason, within the law. And I would instill them to be productive people with a heart of substance in life. If that means they turn out to be sex workers, I'm glad about that. If they turn out to be LGBTQIA plus persons, I'm glad about that. If they turn out to be secular, non-religious persons, I'm glad about that. Whatever they turn out to be, as long as they're substantive people, I'm glad about that not about what I want for them or not because I don't have a preference for who I want my kids to end up as. It's not, I just want them to be decent people. But decent people who happen to be whoever they, their true identities are, I'm all for it. If I had kids who chose to live together with their partner unmarried, doesn't bother me. If they are adults who are with somebody older, as long as that person honors my kids, I'm all for it. And I'm just into, I'm, I'm just for the all around human rights of my children and, the, and everybody else's children, you know? And that's what I stand for, is the upholding of all human rights for my kids and people's kids. That's my attitude. But here we go. EverydayFeminism.com. Debunking six myths about people in the sex industry, November 5th, 2014. Laura Cassare. Editors note, it's come to our attention that this Tumblr post, which links to this article, is stating inaccurate things about everyday feminism is being shared amongst activists via social media. And it safely concludes that EF, everyday feminism, is anti-sex workers, S-E-S-W-E-R-F, in parentheses, based on the false claims of the two people, in quotations, who found it, EF, also found it, Paul, Polaris, that one of them is still on the Polaris board. They say that Polaris, an anti-human trafficking organization, is also anti-sex workers, then so must EF, everyday feminism, be despite the fact that we have never published anything saying that, and as the article below states, we support the rights of sex workers and want to eradicate sex trafficking. So to clarify, the only affiliation between EF's founder, Sandra Kim, and Polaris is that she worked there a decade ago as a case manager. 
where she provided services to women and children that have been sex trafficked in the D.C. area, along with her co-worker who was a survivor of child sex trafficking. She is not the co-founder of Polaris, as the Tumblr post claims. Derek Ellerman, who was not EF's founder, but was a former EF staff as co-founder of Polaris. He hasn't been a Polaris, he hasn't been a Polaris staff for almost a decade or a board member for a few years now. There's no other affiliation between EF and Polaris. In regards to EF's position in the sex industry, we apply an intersectional anti-oppression analysis to the sex industry and believe people who provide commercial sex should be free of violence, coercion, exploitation, criminalization, and stigmatization. I support EF's position. I too believe that people who provide commercial sex should be free of violence, coercion, exploitation, criminalization, and stigmatization. And I too believe that I apply intersectional anti-oppression analysis of the sex industry in regards to my position in the sex industry as well. So I'm with EF on their position when it comes to supporting the rights of sex workers and wanting to eradicate sex trafficking. Furthermore, we believe the organizations work on ending sex trafficking, those working on the rights of sex workers, need to come together to address the oppressive elements in the sex industry and our culture regarding the sex trade, rather than being pitted against each other. I believe the same things too. To learn more about our anti-oppression analysis of the sex industry, please read the article below. Thanks. Navigate move between the spaces of visibility and invisibility, criminal and citizen safety and danger, exploitation and empowerment. People engaged in the commercial sex industry are constantly navigating these margins. Amidst stigma and invisibility, they suffer high rates of violence and discrimination, yet are too often left out of the conversation around violence against women. With very limited and accurate media representations of people involved in the sex industry and the cultural stigma around commercial sex, there are a lot of misconceptions around them. Feminism has historically simplified and continues to simplify the issue. Wherever you may fall in the feminist sex wars, we too often fail to see the complexity and diversity in who is engaged in commercial sex, why they're doing it, and the degree of consent and coercion involved. Maybe you yourself have been involved in the sex industry, or perhaps you know someone who has. Or maybe what you know about it is informed by the overly simplified media representations of sex trafficking and sex workers. You're not quite sure you know the difference. Regardless, you could be an ally for people in the sex industry. But given the level of misconceptions surrounding the sex industry, we need to debunk some of the most common myths that keep us from seeing this issue for what it really is. Myth number one, the words we use to describe them don't really matter. Our culture views people in the sex industry as trashy, dirty, drug users, victims, survivors, carriers of diseases, bad people, criminals as quote-unquote sluts and quote-unquote whores. Even those who don't want to use dehumanizing labels often don't know how to refer to people in the sex industry. Most often you hear the word prostitute. While some may identify themselves as such, this word has a strong negative connotation and many prefer not to be referred to by this term. Since there are major differences between those who engage in commercial sex consensually, those coerced into the sex trade and everything in between, it's important that we use the language to reflect that. For this reason, those who voluntarily engage in the sex trade generally prefer the term sex work 
and also identifying sex workers. This term was coined by sex workers as a way to rename and define the concept for themselves as a form of labor and economic exchange. Sex trafficking, on the other hand, refers to those who are induced through force, fraud, and slash or coerced into selling sex. If they are a minor, then they are a survivor of child commercial sexual exploitation and slash or of sex trafficking. Due to their age, no form of fraud, force, and slash or coercion must be present for it to be considered trafficking according to federal U.S. laws and state laws. These categories are actually not as simple as they seem, nor are they fixed. Much of the time, people's experiences lie somewhere along the spectrum, and the reasons why people are in the sex industry can change over time. Are you making any kinds of assumptions, people who fall into these categories even now as you're reading this? As we discuss this issue, it may be helpful to examine your own biases and assumptions about the people involved in, in this industry. This article referred to the sex industry in quotations, meaning the individuals and businesses that engage in the exchange of sex-related acts for money, shelter, food, clothing, and other goods. This term is used here in a broader sense to include not just street prostitution, brothels, and escort agencies, but also those involved in survival sex, the porn industry, and strip clubs using indirect contact over the phone or internet. We use the term people in the sex industry to refer to people who provide commercial sex. However, there are usually others involved with far more power and privilege in the sex industry, mainly traffickers and buyers. Myth number two, people in the sex industry are all straight, poor, adult American women of color who work in the streets. When you imagine a person in the sex industry, what do, you, what do they look like? While there are plenty of people in the sex industry who fall under the category we said above, there's a wide and varied range of identities and many are living and working at the intersection of multiple forms of oppression. Since poverty and lack of job opportunities are often driving factors for many people into the sex industry, a significant percentage of people in the sex industry are poor and of color, but many come from middle-class backgrounds too. And a significant number of people in the sex industry are white. Too often, however, it is primarily poor women and children of color who are criminalized and imprisoned. Many in the sex industry are straight women, both cis and trans, and the majority of people who buy commercial sex are straight men, but people of all different genders and sexualities consume and exist within the sex industry. The archetypal image of someone in the sex industry is a person who is quote unquote work in the streets, but technology and the internet play a major role in the sex industry as more often commercial sex is done over the internet while other forms of technology like the telephone and films continue to be engaged. Minors are also a significant part of the sex industry and tend to be easy targets by American sex traffickers who are often pimps. Due to their age, all minors are already marginalized and more vulnerable, and this includes children and teens of all genders and races. Also, due to homophobia and transphobia, many LGBTQ plus youth, particularly of youth of color, run away or are kicked out of their homes, leaving them homeless. This puts them at a higher risk of engaging in survival sex or being commercially sexually exploited. While much of the sex industry in the U.S. involves U.S. citizens, there are also many foreign national networks in the U.S. that bring over women from other countries to sell commercial sex. Some face additional risk due to their undocumented status and lack of English speaking ability and understanding of American society, which are often used to exert control over them. The sex industry clearly exists in so many different forms with many different people, and yet, in spite of, it, in spite of the diversity, 
Those are already socially excluded and marginalized face much higher levels of structural and individual violence than their privileged counterparts. People with overlap identities of privilege, like those who are white and slash with greater wealth and social capital, tend to engage in commercial sex and avenues that are less visible, for example, the internet, and are less exposed to the possibility of arrest. Meanwhile, those who are more visible and already experience higher levels of policing, like those who are transgender, Black, Latinx, Asian, undocumented, or who have criminal backgrounds are targeted, and unfairly face higher rates of arrest and incarceration. Myth number three, people in the sex industry are all victims or all empowered. Too often the conversation around the sex industry becomes reduced to a simplistic notion that the sex industry is either a sexist, victimizing industry or one that empowers and strengthens women. In fact, it is both and neither in many other things. People enter the sex industry for a wide range of reasons, which we will group into three broad categories. Sex traffic, induced into the sex industry through force, fraud, or coercion as an adult, or as a minor providing commercial sex, also known as commercial sexual exploitation of children. Economically, economically coerced, feels that commercial sex is the only primary viable source of money they can to, to survive and support their needs. Voluntary sex work chooses to provide commercial sex as an adult. Now, just because we gave you three categories doesn't mean it's that simple, clear cut for every person. For many people in the sex industry, there are overlapping reasons or causes, and they can shift over time as well. For many, for example, many cis and trans women also face a sexist and transphobic society may sell commercial sex because it's the only way to earn enough money to support themselves and their families. Some are coerced by people who have power over them. Some choose to be involved in the sex industry and view it as a form of work. Some find it meaningful and enjoy providing commercial sex. A child who sells commercial sex is automatically considered a victim of sex trafficking and slash or of child commercial sexual exploitation according to federal law. Although historically, it is still often is criminalized today by state laws. But often from their perspective, they may see it as voluntary because they're doing it for their older quote unquote boyfriend, also known as pimp. Because there's such a range of experiences and a diversity of backgrounds and features experienced by people in the sex industry, the victimized slash empowered dichotomy is clearly false and simplistic. Myth number four. People in the sex industry can't be raped. Why do we assume that there are people who can't be raped? This myths come from notions perpetuated by rape culture with certain types of people, those who are sexual for money or otherwise are seen as unable to be forced to have sex against their will. Under this assumption, people in the sex industry have no boundaries, no decision-making power over their own bodies and therefore cannot claim or not claim consent. If the culture views a person as having no ownership over their own body, whose body is seen as only belonging to others, then we do not give them the agency and ability to say yes or to say no. This is a problem not only associated with stigma, but that plays out in real world, but that plays out in real world consequences from clients, police, and others. According to two studies by the Sex Workers Project, 17% of the sex workers they interviewed reported sexual harassment, abuse, and rape by police. Since people in the sex industry are so marginalized and can't be in prison, the balance of power allows the sexual violence by the police to go on unchecked. In fact, extortion of sexual acts by police officers are being given the choice between having sex or going to jail is a far too common experience. 
reporting such incidents and being taken seriously is pretty much out of the question. I also want to add that sometimes during uh, investigations, you police do receive sexual services from sex workers because the police can be that controlling. It could be during sting operations, during any other criminal investigation, during the during trials, during court cases, court dates. Police have been known to sexual to solicit service from sex workers. For nefarious purposes, which is nefarious within in and of itself, to use sex workers like that. Instead, our society tends to blame people in the sex industry when they experience sexual violence, claim that they quote unquote brought it on themselves. But the requirement for consent in sex does not disappear just because a person has sex in exchange for money or goods. Myth number five. People in the sex industry should be ashamed for selling their bodies. We already know that our culture slut shames women for having sex and it certainly extends to the sex industry. The stigmatization, the idea that people in the sex industry should feel shame or should be shamed as a way to get them out of this industry is altogether wrong. Under the category of sex trafficking, this stigmatization has led to another false but prevalent dichotomy of the good slash bad victim. A quote unquote good victim is someone usually white, cis, and young who didn't have any idea that they were going to be providing commercial sex and was 100% tricked into it. A quote-unquote bad, quote bad victim is someone, usually a person of color, who knew there would be commercial sex and quote-unquote still got involved, even when there's physical abuse keeping them there. Janet Mock, discussing experience in the sex industry, wrote eloquently about shame in her book, Redefining Realness. I do not believe using your body often marginalizes people's only asset especially in poor, low-income communities of color, to care after yourself is shameful. I agree with her. What I find shameful is a culture that exiles, stigmatizes, and criminalizes those engaged in underground economies like sex work as a means to move past struggle to survival. I agree with her on that, too. Regardless of the reason for them being there, allies should support work to destigmatize people in the sex industry. Count me in, I say. If they want to leave the sex trade, then we should provide supportive services to help them do so. I agree. And if they don't, we should support that as well. I agree with that as well. Services delivered to people in the sex industry should be done in a way that respects their humanity and supports their agency. I concur. Myth number six is the last myth. People involved in the sex industry are criminals. Correction, they are criminalized. People in the sex industry experience a whole host of emotional, cultural, and physical violence and harassment at the hands of their communities, but even more so quite often from the police. And who is typically targeted by the police in the criminal justice system? Women of color, trans women, people selling commercial sex physically in the street, people under 18 years old, People with criminal histories and histories of drug use, and I add alcohol use. 
And I also add tobacco use. People living in poverty, people are foreign born, not documented. In other words, people already being marginalized and oppressed. While people who buy commercial sex and traffic are also criminalized, law enforcement does not tend to focus on them anywhere near to the degree that providers of commercial sex experience. Instead, they are treated with more of a quote unquote boys will be boys attitude even when a minor is involved. Transgender women of color experience discrimination from the police, regardless of if they're even involved in the sex industry. Trans women of color are often profiled, arrested, and detained for solicitation because they are perceived by law enforcement through sexualizing racialized stereotypes. Until recently, in the U.S., minors under 18 years old have been criminalized for engaging in the sex industry in every state, despite there being laws against statutory rape and child sexual abuse. Thanks to the New York Safe Harbor Law of 2008 and other states that followed, we're seeing less criminalization and more services to support them, though much more is needed. Despite all the myths surrounding people in the sex industry, it's clear that there's a broad spectrum of lived experiences, and those and those of us who choose to be allies have a lot to learn. I'm definitely an ally, and I know I have a lot to learn. We can stand up for people in the sex industry that fight against the stigma, decriminalizing them and providing services to help them be safer. I'm stepping in this fight, is what I say. Regardless of whether someone wants to leave the industry or stay in it, we can advocate for the rights of people in the sex industry and do so in a manner that is supportive of their autonomy and respectful of their choices. I, I super concur on that one. And when the voices of people in the sex industry are silenced, their stories ignored, it's so important that we work to listen and to help make their voices heard. To learn more, please check out these organizations working to support people in different areas of the sex industry. Gems in their film, Very Young Girls on the Commercial Sexual Sexual Exploitation of Girls in New York City. Tips in the documentary, Be Nice to Sex Workers, about street-based survival sex in Washington, D.C. Polaris combating human trafficking, modern-day slavery in that video, America's Daughters, which is a poem written by a survivor of sex trafficking. Sex Workers Project and their campaigns for sex workers and sex trafficked people. So Laura Carice is a contributing writer for Everyday Feminism is a feminist activist and organizer, clinic escort, grad school student, and yoga teacher living going to school in Chicago. Sandra Kim is the founder, CEO, and editor-in-chief of Everyday Feminism. She brings together her personal and professional experience with trauma, personal transformation, social change, and gives it all her feminist twist. Feminist twist. I super agree with the, with the realities of what's happening in this article, indeed. Everyday feminism again, while we must protect sex workers at all costs during the Me Too era, January 8, 2018, Nisha Powell. You, you'll, you've likely heard the saying prostitution is the world's oldest profession, and yet, despite this truth, our society has always looked down on, on sex workers, and we need to assume that all sex workers do their jobs out of desperation because they were forced into it. Unfortunately, the Me Too movement is fueling new misconceptions about sex workers. Some uninformed social media users have suggested that the solution to stopping sexual predators is for them to hire a sex worker when they want to abuse. 
This so-called solution is not only dehumanizing, it is false. Sex workers are not target practices for sexual abusers. In fact, sex workers are more likely to experience sexual violence on the job than those engaging other types of work. However, I've seen very little in the media about how they are being impacted by Me Too. As a survivor, I deeply appreciate how Me Too has empowered fellow survivors to publicly share their stories. However, the glaring absence of sex workers' Me Too narratives in the spotlight troubles me, especially as an on and off burlesque performer. Burlesque is a type of sex worker, which is defined by the Sex Workers Outreach Project USA, SWAP, SWOP, as any type of labor where the explicit goal is to produce a sexual or erotic response in the client. I don't consider it my profession, but I've unapologetically participated in sex work. Sex workers use their bodies to make money like any other worker, but aren't afforded the same rights and protections. I believe the first step to ending sexual violence against sex workers is acknowledging their labor as valuable. Brick House, communications director at SWAP USA, does sex work because she enjoys what she thinks of her labor as sacred. Based in Seattle, she's a black, bisexual, queer sex worker, intimacy coach, burlesque performer slash producer, teacher, and artist. While Brickhouse loves her work, she acknowledges it isn't always easy. Sex workers are being abused and even murdered on the job. Unprotected by the law, they're unlikely to report rape and sexual assault to the police. In 2017, nearly 40 sex workers were killed that we know of. The international data in violence against sex workers has been observed every December 17 since 2003 to commemorate slain sex workers around the world. On this holiday, it's essential to remember that Black trans women sex workers are especially at risk of being killed. Sex workers are murdered just for doing their job, yet our society lacks empathy for them. That the punchline of vulgar jokes and quote-unquote prostitute is the preferred insult of misogynistic men as well as misogynistic women towards women. Brickhouse explains that sex workers have boundaries like everybody else. They come to a mutual agreement with patrons about what type of interaction both parties interested in having. Every sex worker has boundaries they operate with and communicate to their client. If a client deliberately tries to or succeeds in going past the boundaries that were set by the provider, that is assault, she says. Joking about sex workers and diminishing their humanity makes it less safe for them. Queer and trans women of color doing sex work are more likely to be violated than their white counterparts simply because of their identities. Our culture requires a drastic shift for queer, trans, and people of color sex workers to feel safe and respected. I'm personally committed to building a world where sex workers are free from all forms of violence. I am too. We must counter their absence with the Me Too movement. We must counter their absence within the Me Too movement by lifting up their stories and supporting them whenever we can. If you are an aspiring ally to sex workers, that would be me. Here are three ways to be in solidarity with them during the Me Too era. One, give money and other resources to sex work or organizers. Sex workers in the U.S. and beyond have been organizing towards the liberation for decades, yet their movements remain underfunded. If you want to support sex workers, you have to be willing to follow and invest in their leadership and vision. Being an ally to sex workers means contributing financial resources to spaces where they organize. Chris Sardin is the coordinator of the Desire Alliance, which puts on the largest sex worker conference in the U.S. The conference gives sex workers an opportunity to come together in a safer space for five days of 
organizing, planning, and mobilizing kind of the violent stigma and criminalization they face in their lives. In addition to the conference, the IRA Alliance works on the federal level to decriminalize sex work and pushes back against laws that harm sex workers, such as added felony enhancements for working while HIV positive and anti-trafficking laws that do more harm than good. Sex workers have systems in place to protect themselves, such as quote unquote, bad date lists, which name clients who've been known to harm sex workers. An ally's job is to make sure sex workers have what they need to sustain these types of life-saving grassroots networks to educate yourself others about what sex work really is. The general public needs more education about what sex work is. This is the only way to dispel harmful myths about the job. Sex workers are harm. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Sex workers are human beings like everybody else. Their mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters with full and productive lives. Someone you know is a sex worker. Someone you love is a sex worker, says Sardina, who is a sex worker and a great grandmother. Sardina thinks that education is the key to people understanding sex work. She wants folks to understand that decriminalizing prostitution is about having the right to choose what to do with your own body without interference from the government. Sex workers shouldn't have to carry the burden of educating aspiring allies. If you want to be educated by a sex worker, it's essential that you pay them for their labor. If you want to start educating yourself, begin here with SWAP's list of ally resources. One way to educate others about sex work in your everyday life is intervening when others slut shame and joke about sex workers. Let them know why their words are dangerous and dehumanizing and ask them to do better. Three, do something nice for the sex workers in your life. If you know and love a sex worker, do something nice for them. Their work could be emotionally and physically draining because of how much it's demonized in our society. Sex workers are healers, lovers, companions, and trusted allies. The way that we support other leaders in our community who do the work, not all of us have the drive or desire to do is the same. Wait a minute. Brickhouse says sex workers are healers, lovers, companions, and trusted allies. The way that we support other leaders in our community who do the work not all of us have, the driver desire to do is the same way we should support sex workers. Give us some love every now and again. We deserve it and we need it. Perform acts of kindness for sex workers in your life so they know you honor and value their labor. Ask them what they need or surprise them with their favorite forms of self-care. Just like any other hard worker, they deserve rest, relaxation, and rejuvenation when off the clock. Being in solidarity, with sex workers in the Me Too era is crucial. The stories of survivors or our sex workers aren't being elevated enough right now. We need to prioritize the inclusion of their narratives. Centering sex workers in the Me Too movement will amplify the important work of those who are already organized for sex worker rights, such as SWAP and the Desire, Desire, Desire Alliance. It's a court case in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to decriminalize prostitution proposals in New Hampshire and Washington, D.C. to consider decriminalization. With backing from the increasingly powerful Me Too movement, these efforts could soon become victories. Until we win better laws for sex workers, we, we who buy them should do what we can to protect their lives. If you love a sex worker, make it your duty to fight for their dignity, safety, and well-being. Nisha Powell, she and they pronounce as an everyday feminist reporting fellow 
She identifies as an intersection. Uh, okay. She and they pronouns. Okay. Nisha identifies as intersectional feminist woman, writer, community organizer, facilitator, dancer, freedom fighter, wife, and cat mama. She's constantly conspiring in the name of liberated Black, features, queer, and trans people of color, power, solidarity, economics, and transformative justice slash community accountability. Nisha is based in a suburb south of Seattle where she lives, loves, and creates her chosen family. I agree with her. Yeah. Protecting sex workers at all costs. In any, in all eras, are valuable to me. So now, I'm just really thinking seriously. For me, what it means. to be an ally as well as an accomplice who educates myself without people supposed to know about always being the ones educating me. So that's something I decided I really must do. to say this This is inquirysjournal.com. By Kelly J. Bell, 2009, volume one, number 11, page one out of two. And the feminist arguments on how sex work can benefit women. Sex work has long been criticized and stigmatized in our society. While many members of society view sex work as immoral and degrading to women, I argue that sex work is essentially just work, that it is not necessarily harmful to women. I strongly agree. I strongly agree with Kelly on that one. 
Under circumstances in which sex work is accepted and regulated in society, in which the sex worker is protected and granted the same rights as any other laborer, sex work has the possibility to be beneficial to women. I, agree, I strongly agree. Sex work can be very profitable for women, and many women may enjoy work that allows them to, creative, to creatively express their sexuality. I strongly agree. Sex work can allow human beings a way to safely explore their sexual desires in ways they cannot through the current social norm of heterosexual monogamous relationships. I strongly agree. The sex work industry and its workers need not be chastised by society that claims to Puritan ideals of what is quote unquote of what is moral. I agree strongly. I argue prostitution should be legal. I agree strongly. Every human being has the right to make informed decisions about their own bodies and laws that govern sex work are laws that govern individuals' right to make decisions about their own bodies. I strongly agree. Sex work is illegal because it's largely viewed as immoral and degrading, but morality is subjective in society's opinion what is quote-unquote right and what is quote-unquote wrong is constantly shifting. I strongly agree. Morality provides no sound basis for law, as people governed by laws cannot possibly all share the same moral beliefs. I strongly agree. My argument is that prostitutes should be made legal. Sex workers offer the same rights to respect as workers in any other field, and that by doing this, sex work could become something that benefits women and humanity in general. I strongly agree. In Carol Pateman's essay, What is Wrong with Prostitution? She argues that prostitution is an embodiment of patriarchy. That was said in 2006. She relates to historical societies in which men had ownership over their wives. It says that while men no longer have complete ownership of women in our society, prostitution provides a way for men to exercise ownership over women's bodies temporarily. I disagree with this conclusion of prostitution. So do I. Men do not own a prostitute when they are paying her for sex any more than a businessman owns his factory workers. I feel the same way. If prostitutes are given the right to choose their clients and to stop sex at any point in which they feel unsafe or uncomfortable, prostitution is not a question of temporary ownership. I feel those ways. Another point Peyton makes in her essay distinguishes prostitution from other forms of work based on the product being paid for. Peyton argues that other forms of labor work the employer is paying for the product of the labor, not the labor itself. The prostitution of physical labor itself is the commodity. Payment 2006. This argument does not hold up. That's correct. When workers in any entertainment field, such as stage actors, dancers, and comedians are paid for the actual labor, not any product which is produced by their labor. That is correct. In this way, one can view the process of entertainment. The root of each type of work is essentially the same. To provide a pleasurable experience for a customer. That's correct. Finally, Payton argues that because sexuality is so intertwined with one's personality and identity, to sell sex is to sell oneself, she said in 2006. Again, this argument is unconvincing. That's true. It is true that prostitutes are paid for exerting one aspect of their personality and sexuality. That's right. It is true that sex workers are paid for exerting one aspect of their personality and sexuality. That's right, too. However, prostitution is not unique in this sense. That is so true. Many workers earn a living by exerting a strong aspect of their personality. Right. 
Managers are paid for their leadership abilities, teachers for their patience, and waiters for the extroversion. Why then is it wrong for a prostitute or a sex worker to profit from their sexuality? I couldn't agree more. There we go. Once we recognize that sex work is not inherently exploitative of women, the question becomes, under what conditions can sex work actually benefit women? Before sex work can benefit women, it must first cease to endanger women. I argue that the most essential condition to reduce harm to sex workers is to legalize and legitimize sex work and provide sex workers with the, with the same rights as other workers. In Priscilla Alexander's article, Feminism, Sex Workers, and Human Rights, she provides an outline of rights that would protect sex workers, 1997. She calls first for a distinction between forced and voluntary prostitution. It needs to be recognized that not all sex workers are forced into sex work, that an individual can, can consciously decide to engage in sex work. Oh my God, those points are all 100% correct and accurate. In addition to this, forced prostitution and sex trafficking need to be eliminated. Next, Alexander asserts that prostitution needs to be regulated by the same occupational safety and health regulations offered to workers in other labor industries. Sex workers need protection from exploitation by third-party managers. That's for limits. I mean, those statements are 100% right, too. They ask for limits on the proportion of their income that managers could take for benefits like health insurance and sick days. Sex workers ask for quote, clean, safe places to work with the absolute right to refuse to engage in unsafe sex practices outside in 2007, page 93. Those are all true and factual. They need access to training on sexually transmitted diseases and infections, dealing with dangerous clients and self-defense in case of an attack. Prostitutes and sex workers should have the right to travel between states and countries, just like any other worker. Sex workers need protection by law enforcement officers to enforce laws against physical and sexual assault, kidnapping, extortion, and fraud. Yes. Everything, every word is said is music to my ears. Yes, 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 yes. 100%, 100%, 100%. Sex workers should have the right to union. Sex workers should have the right to unionize. They should be able to choose whether they work on their own in groups or with managers. As, present, as presented in the film Live New Girls Unite, sex workers also desire, protect, also desire protection against discrimination based on their race. Query said that 2000. Yes, all true, all true. Even in legal forms of sex work, like exotic dancing, women of color are discriminated against. Workers of color are often given limited hours and do not have access to the most prestigious positions based on their perceived lack of marketability. Anti-discrimination laws should be enforced in the sex industry as they are in any other industry. To summarize, sex work should be legalized as sex workers offered all the protections offered to workers in other industries. When sex work is recognized treated as legitimate work, sex work can, can begin to benefit women. Yes. Yes, I'm rejoicing my heart based on the words being said by Kelly. Page two. 
by the way, Kelly J. Bell graduated in 2011 with a concentration in psychology from Simmons College of Boston, Massachusetts. Another necessary condition for sex work to be made beneficial to women is to destigmatize the role of the sex worker in society. Currently, sex workers are viewed as immoral, worthless people by most of society. Sex is a taboo topic in society, and women especially are not supposed to be sexually assertive. In order for sex work to be treated as a legitimate form of work, society needs to step away from our Puritan views on sexuality and human nature. When it's accepted in society that human beings are sexual, and we are allowed, and when we are allowed to express and explore sexuality and sexual desires, sex will begin will begin to be treated with respect in society. I've argued that sex work is not necessarily harmful to women, and presented conditions that will reduce risk to sex workers. Now I can present the ways in which sex work can actually benefit women. In his article, Fits and Queers, Ali Claire relates prostitution to work in a freak show referencing that prostitution provides a means of income to women who may not have other means available to them as men not. In society today, the majority of sex workers are low-class women and women of color who do not have other viable options. However, sex work does not need to be reduced to a last resort option. As represented in the film Live Nude Girls Unite, many women actively choose sex work. Sex work can offer good pay and flexible hours. It may be an ideal work option for single mothers or college students do not have skills or time for a more traditional job. Similar to the hospitality industry, the sex work industry may provide people the temporary way to raise money while preparing for a career in another field, or it can serve as a valid career choice. Many women who engage in sex work may find enjoyment and empowerment in it. Women who are comfortable with their sexuality may take pleasure in work that allows them to express it on their own terms, Query 2000. Wow, I'm loving everything said, and I think that one of the reasons why I want to be a porn performer and a pornographer is because those types of sex work means that I am allowed to express my sexuality on my own terms. I'm comfortable with sexuality and I take pleasures in the works of porn performing and pornography. Learn something new about myself just now. Corey Lay advocates for sex work in her essay, Inventing Sex Work. She acknowledges that sex work is a legitimate form of work, 1997. It's when it was said, sex work is a predominantly female trade, and many sex workers are smart, strong women. Women can benefit from working in an industry, in an industry populated predominantly by women who provide each other with friendship and support. Lee also says that sex work can be interesting and, in fun, and fun. Oh, I agree with everything. I agree. She denies the myth that working in the sex industry ruins the experience of sex in one's personal life. Thank you for saying that, yes. She states, sex in my personal life became very exciting. Sex with clients annoyed me sometimes and interested me other times, Lay, 1997, K-228. The statement by Lay denies another common argument against sex work, that sex work limits the pleasure from sexual activity for the worker and therefore impairs a basic bodily function Schwarzen back 2006. Right. In her chapter, Contractarian to Feminist Debate Prostitution, Sybil Schwarzenbach presents the idea of sex workers here, specifically referencing prostitutes as sexual therapists. Now, she asked the original measurement in a society in which frequent satisfying sexual visits between consenting adults is seen as a healthy, necessary part of life. Wow. That means as a porn performer and a pornographer, 
I get to be a sexual therapist because I get to show frequent satisfying sexual experiences between myself and other consenting adults as a healthy and necessary part of life that should be seen. Woo! Yes. These sexual experiences could be of great variety between men and women, two men, two women, multiple partners, any other variation. The current or any other variation, the current sexual norm, a man and a woman in a monogamous relationship. Ah, I get to be a part of this beautiful tradition. In such society, she claims that sexual group is seen as a valuable profession. Yes, that's how I always see it. Sex workers would be both men and women who are respected in society for their expertise on human sexual needs and ability to fill these needs as a service to others. And by the way, trans people are included in this. Non-binary people are included in this. And queer people are included in this as well. Sex work will not need to conform to the heteronormative sometimes oppressive model of men paying women for sex. Men and women could hire sex workers of either sex to help fulfill their sexual desires. In this society, sex work could, seem, could surely be a good career for women and men as they would be highly respected in society and compensated appropriately for their work. The existence of such a sex work industry would benefit not only those working in the industry, however, but society as a whole. I'm all for it. Well, all for it 100%. The existence of open available commercial sex allows individuals to express and explore more fully their sexuality and sexual desires. Yeah, yeah. As religious and patriarchal beliefs have historically denied women these opportunities, women especially could benefit from the existence of a sex work industry as it would finally be acceptable for them to embrace and explore their own sexuality. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, there are many ways in which sex work can be beneficial to women. There is no logical basis for the argument against sex work or the criminalization of the field. I've proven that sex work is not necessarily exploitative of women. Sex workers face a danger of exploitation today only because of the criminalization and stigmatization of sex work in our society. Laws that criminalize prostitution and other forms of sex work are outdated, impractical, and harmful. Hell yeah! Laws governing sex work deny women control over their own bodies in the same way that law governing reproductive rights do. As stated by Ridwell and Wall, as stated by Rittler and Wall, when we talk about women's rights, we can get all the rights in the world, the right to vote, the right to go to school, and none of them means a dog, none of them means a goddamn thing if we don't own the flesh we stand in. Crunch, Chandra Chud, 2006. They say doggone, I hate substitute cursing. I love the real cursing. I don't, I don't even spell out person I either I am allowed to say it if I'm not allowed to say it I don't say it at all that's how the fuck I wrote so fuck yeah Priscilla Alexander echoes this sentiment I believe that as long as women are arrested for the crime of being sexually assertive for standing on, for standing on the street without a socially acceptable purpose or a male chaperone I am not free Alexander 1997 page 84 Right on, Priscilla, right on. The right to control our sexuality is as essential to feminism 
as the right to control her reproduction. Any law that denies a woman's control over her body is a law that labels women as second-class citizens and places them under the control of men. Counter to Carol Payton's argument that prostitution allows men control of women, I argue that it is not prostitution itself that allows men control of women, but prostitution laws. Where these laws to be eliminated and sex work placed under the control of those who work in the industry, women could finally begin to claim their sexuality, express and explore their sexual desires, and work legitimately in the field that offers great pay and flexible hours. It's time for feminists everywhere to recognize the potential value in sex work and to lobby for change in the way sex work is currently perceived in society. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, one more thing. If my kids says in the sex industry, I would make sure they engage in safe sex practices. I just have to say that now. This truly puts a smile on my heart. It does. That was so good. That was so good for me to know. Uh, I look forward to being global for an icon. I look forward to being in charge of a global porn entity. Porn entity in global porn icon globally, the entity being global means that I'm a global superstar as a porn performer, pornographer, and my porn entity also has showcasing erotica, behind the scenes, and in front of the scenes too. So I feel a true sense of ease right now. So I just wanna say I'm thankful that I was allowed to share. <laughs> 